to see everybody here. And take your Bibles to turn to Acts chapter 12, if you will. You can follow along on the screen. As it's already been said, I want to say welcome to all of our guests as well. And uh, we are, <clears throat> I am, I'm very excited uh, because we are starting to feel like fall. Praise the Lord. Look, there's a reason why hell is hot. <laughs> there is. <laughs> so, anyways, moving along. Um, so, again, I want to say thank you to our guests. I want to um, encourage you to come back tonight. We do have our evening prayer service, and the uh, Lord's really been blessing there. Been just spending time as a as a church family, and it's been it's been really good. So, but in these morning services, again, we're going to continue marching on in our study and in, in the first church, in the book of Acts. We're studying, trying to glean those lessons that we can along the way. And and uh, last week we did. We we saw two lessons. I think very, very important and applicable to our lives as the church today in 2021. And uh, the first point we saw last week was don't live life fearfully, but live life fearing God. And again, there's a lot of things today that are trying to strike fear uh, in the heart of people and, and even and especially in the hearts of God's people. And we are just not supposed to live like that. We're not supposed to live with worry or anxiety uh, as well. We are to live fearing God, trusting God every single day. The second point we saw was we should passionately pray for one another and not privately pick. And we also know this, that it's always easier to do the fleshly thing. It's always more difficult to do the spiritual thing. So it's always going to be easier to pick at someone privately. It's always easier to criticize, critique, pick, you know, whatever, gripe, complain, murmur, whatever word we want to say, it's always easier to do that privately than it is to say, you know what, uh, this kind of bothers me or this is kind of burdening me or this is, this is something that I don't like. And so I'm, I'm going to pray um, that, that God would, would work in their life. I'm going to pray that God would work in my life. And that's sometimes the, the harder thing to do because whenever somebody's bothering us or somebody did something we don't like, we typically pray prayers like this, God, show them where they're wrong. <laughs> God changed their heart, God fixed them, and we forget about, God, maybe I'm seeing it wrong. God, maybe I, I'm in the wrong place. Maybe my heart's wrong. Maybe I'm fixed on the wrong thing, and I should be focusing on something else. And so again, lessons that we should be applying in our lives today, gleaned from this first church, who again, we, we, we saw last week, were finding themselves yet another situation that they could respond one way or the other. And what we saw is that they, they responded this way that has been encouraging and helpful to us, and that was that they pressed into the Lord and they pressed into one another as the church. Again, it could have divided them, it could have separated them, it could have torn them apart, it could have destroyed, it could have done all, all kinds of things, this persecution yet again coming upon these believers, and um, they chose to press into the Lord. And, I, and again, such an encouragement, such an example for us. And say, what exactly happened again? Remember, James the Greater is what he is called. He's a brother of John, those sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, he was murdered. Herod murdered him, and he saw that it pleased the Jewish people uh, because they wanted these band of Christians. They wanted these Jesus followers who just would not go away. They've tried to kill him. They've tried to snuff it out. And yet they keep coming back more powerful, more unified. They kill, they kill, they're excited. They say, you know, yeah, this is the way to go. So what he does is he imprisons Peter. 
but because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he wasn't going to put Peter to death because he, fi he figured, and he knew enough about Jewish the Jewish religion that that would make them mad and not make them happy uh, that he broke the law uh, or, or their custom there of not, not uh, executing someone on that feast. And so he imprisons him, intending to put him to death as well. But we know the story, if you were here, uh, he was miraculously delivered from the angels, angel of the Lord, and we saw the church during that process making constant prayer for him when he was in prison. And I, I, I will never shy away from and, and, and always ask for prayer uh, as, as, as a pastor because uh, there, there are things that the, the enemy throws at um, leaders and at pastors uh, that are very unique at times. And uh, I'll just encourage you to be praying for not only me, but all our elders and, and our deacons, our, our leadership. Uh, we, we are definitely um, seeing God do some amazing things, but there are attacks on every hand. And, and again, it's, it's necessary for the church to rally together in prayer and pray for those who are in, in leadership. That's, again, another great example of the church rallying together in the midst of a crisis instead of falling apart. And so I want to pray this morning, jump back into this study and see what God has for us this morning. So let's do that. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced in this place. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. And as it's already been prayed, Lord, we ask that you would move uh, in, in this place, uh, move with your word and your spirit to um, convict, to challenge, to encourage, uh, and Lord, just to ha have your will and way. Lord, help us, help our hearts uh, to be responsive. Help our spiritual eyes and ears to be open and receptive, Lord. We ask that you would be glorified in this place. And as we leave today, um, we would be different. Uh, more in love with you, more desiring to please you, more um, unified as a body, uh, more passionate uh, for your, your mission. And Lord, we'll praise you for all these things. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 12, we begin in verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. And having made blasts the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Now, uh, Tyre and Sidon is uh, along the, the Mediterranean coast as well, just a little north of Caesarea. And Caesarea, of course, is the place that uh, Herod loved to go back to, a resort city there on the, on the coast. And they, he controlled the food supply to, to everybody because he was the king uh, of Judea there. And so um, they didn't make him happy for some reason. Lots of speculation in the history tells us a few things. But um, so he says, you know, I, I just I don't want to deal with these people. But they say, look, we, we need food. And so we've got to we've got to make this make this right. They make friends with Blastus, and and uh, they ask for peace. So how they went about this um, was on a day set aside. The Bible says uh, for uh, a celebration, and, and and it's understood that it was probably for the Caesar. Um, but but Herod's going to get glory here. We're going to see. That's what he was concerned about. <laughs> um, it says he was arrayed in royal purple, sat on his throne. And gave an oration to them. Again, this is probably in uh, honor of the uh, Claudius or whatever, the, the Caesar at the time. But 
he's arrayed in royal purple, making sure that everybody knows that he's the king. Josephus, a, a secular historian of the day, uh, said that it wasn't just royal purple that he was in, but he was wearing a garment that was uh, sewn with silver. That, that's, an amazing, that's an amazing thought that this is, it's supposed to be honoring the, the, the emperor, but Herod is, is making this grand speech, and he's arrayed in, in his own uh, garment of, uh, of royalty. And the people kept shouting, it says in verse 22, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. And here's the reason why. Because he did not give glory to God. It goes on to say that he was eaten by worms and died. The Greek word for die there is expuko. That's where we get our word expire. He gave up the ghost. He breathed his last breath, and that was in 44 AD that this happened. According to that same historian Josephus, Herod did, he said that Herod endured terrible pain five days before he died. Now, this is probably, I don't want to get too gross because I don't want to make anybody sick, but uh, this was, uh, the, many people believe, roundworms um, that were, you know, intestinal worms that can destroy from the inside out. And so it says that he was eaten by worms and died. It's interesting that that same word for expire is the same exact word that was used in Acts chapter 5 for a couple that we've already seen. And that couple was Ananias and Sapphira. And what did that couple do? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Why? I believe what we see is for the same exact reason. They weren't interested in giving glory to God. They were interested in receiving glory of their own. It said back in our study in, in Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 that uh, there were people that, including Barnabas, that were selling lands and houses, and they were bringing those funds, laying them at the apostles' feet so the distribution could be made to every person that was in need. And then Ananias and Sapphira come along, and they had conspired with one another, husband and wife, determining that they were going to say they sold this land for a certain amount, but they were going to keep back a portion themselves. Why? Again, we talked about this already. It's apparent that they were interested in receiving the praise of man. They were interested in receiving the glory from man and not interested in simply glorifying God with what God had already blessed them with. And so we see again Herod following that same thing, and it brings up a very, very, very important point in our study that we should glean and we should apply, and it's point number one in your notes. God's glory is his and his alone. God's glory is his and his alone. The word glory is doxa, it's honor, it's praise, it's worship. And so we see in the text that Herod, whenever he begins to speak, the people begin to shout to him in praise, in doxa, in glory, in worship. The word is worship. And, and in that moment, he had an opportunity to say, no, 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 no. I am not a God. I, this, is, this is not about me. I am simply a vessel. He, all praise goes to God. He could have had, he could, he, he had the opportunity to do that, but he absorbed the praise versus deflecting it to God, which is something that is still 
a temptation for people today. As a matter of fact, in our culture, in our society, there's, there's an amplification of self-glorification. Right? That's, that's the whole, you know, the whole point. But here's the sad reality is that it has absolutely made its way into Christendom. It has made its way into the church. And I've never tried to judge. I'm not a judge of, uh, of anybody. We can judge sin. God has given us that responsibility. But we can't judge the hearts of people. And so I'm not going to do that. But there, is, there are absolutely those, those churches and those people who hold positions of pastors that are seeking glory of man over glory of God. And, and that's just an assessment based on the, the, the obvious evidence uh, that, that's there. But it's not just that. Scripture's full of examples of pride and others trying to rob glory from God that is his and his alone. All the way from Satan and his rebellion. What did he say? I will be like the Most High. Through the last book of Revelation. So, so what, what's the balance there? If, if, if we do things for the Lord or we, we do things for other people and somebody says, well, well, thank you for that. Or, man, you're, you're such a blessing. You, you are God sinned. And God used you in amazing ways. Man, that is an amazing song. That is an amazing this. That is an amazing that. You, you, y'all serve and, and you do such an amazing work. Thank you for helping and blessing us so much. What do we do? There's nothing wrong with, it, with, with showing appreciation for other people. There's nothing wrong with encouraging other people. Matter of fact, we should do, I think, both. I think we should show appreciation. I think that we should encourage. I think that we should edify. I think that we should be a grateful people, a, a people full of gratitude. Matter of fact, I, I think that, that we should be the most grateful people. I think in, 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 in our world and in, in, in our nation, I think Christianity, we should be the people who are most grateful for the abundant blessings God has given to us. And it, and it comes from something Deep within, I think that if you live your life from a place of gratitude, it pours out to other people no matter what. Somebody holds a door for you. Thank you. Somebody does something for you kind. Thank you. And I've mentioned before, that seems to be a, a, a lost um, virtue in today's society. There's been so much promotion of expectation or entitlement. That people don't express gratitude, even I think it should be expressed for the smallest of things. But I think that comes from a, a place inside. I think that comes from having gratitude just rooted in your heart. If you can't say thank you to someone for something they've done for you, I would check your pride. And so he says, all right, so we can say thank you. We can show appreciation, encourage other people, edify other people. But I think in the midst of all of that, there has to be an awareness of ultimately who deserves praise, who deserves glory, who deserves honor, who deserves worship. We are instruments for God's glory. That's what Scripture says, that we are to yield ourselves as such. 
That, that in, a, in a great house, there are, there are instruments of honor and there's instruments of, of dishonor. And there's a way to ensure that we're instruments of honor. And that is if we purge ourselves of the earthly things, of the sinful things, of the fleshly things that keep us from being vessels of honor in the Lord's, in the Lord's work. But I think it's so important for us to remember in our lives, because this is what happens even in, in Christianity, it's what happens even in Christian service, is we get so focused on man recognizing what we're doing and man seeing what we're doing and, and receiving the praise and, and, and the attention of man that we forget that we have done nothing in ourselves worthy of praise. And again, I said in, in, a, in a culture that's seeking glory and, 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 and recognition and, and, and pushing that on everybody, and again, it's in every corner. And, I, and this is not a knock if you use social media to, uh, to, 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 to thank people, to, to, to boast about your family, and I'm not saying boast in a bad way. I mean, if you can say, this is my wife, I love her, this is my husband, I love him, these are my kids, they're amazing, best kids on the earth. And that's fine. But it's a culture that's, that's centered on that. It's a culture that, that, that is all about getting glory. And I think it's so important for us as the people of God to remember, again, we have done nothing good and deserve nothing good in and of ourselves. And we don't deserve glory. We don't deserve praise. We don't deserve honor. We don't deserve any of those things in and of ourselves. Why? Because it's all God's design. We are God's design. The church, God's design. And we, as his people, as his children, as his church, are humbled and privileged to have in his grace and in his mercy the opportunity to be those children. The opportunity to sit at his table and to serve him and to serve others. And so when we forget that and distance between that truth and reality, then it creates a distance between us and the Lord. And when that distance happens between us and the Lord and that reality that we are simply sinners saved by grace and only instruments at his pleasure and only deserving because he has chosen in his righteousness and in his grace, in his mercy, in his justice to use us in his kingdom, when we distance ourselves from those truths that pride and selfishness and glory hounding sets in, and I believe sets us up to be humbled by God himself. See, Herod didn't care at all about giving God glory, even though he knew the religion of the Jews, even though he knew all of what, you know, the, the, the law demanded. And again, he, he wasn't going to crucify Peter. All those things were there, but it was in his emotional and frustrated state. I want you to hear that again. The Bible isn't, the Bible isn't, um, it doesn't lack in, in, in details where God gives details. It, it, it doesn't, it, there's times that it's silent on things. There's times that it's, it's, we're not sure on things. But when the Bible gives us detail, I believe there's a very important reason why God gave us the details that he's given us. And in this story, it says that he was mad. He was not happy. He was upset. He was, he, th those people made him mad. And so he was an emotional, he was an emotional state when this, 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 this banquet happened or the celebration happened, and what happened in the middle of that? He was receiving praise from man. 
and he absorbed it. And again, I think that's a great, great, great lesson for, in the details for us to get is that it was in Herod's emotional and frustrated state that he willingly absorbed the glory and the praise of man. I think that when we get in an emotional state, whether it's frustrated or elated or whatever the case may be, and we go completely on our emotions that we set ourselves up to be vulnerable for pride, for self-exaltation, we get swept away in the moment as well. We set ourselves up for falls and failures. And in that, in that moment, he was struck. As I said, just like all who lift themselves up against God, they will face. Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse so those who are unrighteous have no excuse to say there is, there is no God, again, the Bible says very clearly that his power, his divine nature, have all been seen and understood through what has been made. Look at nature. Look at mankind. Look at the wonder of the eye. Look at the wonder of the brain, of the, the circulatory system, of the, the respiratory system, of the digestive. I mean, everything God has created is a wonder. And so there's no way someone can say, well, I don't know that there's a God. It's clear through creation there's a God. And then it says in verse 20, 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. It is vital that we, especially we, as God's children, as his church, to stay close to and humbled before our God. And I, I want to say this. It's not in a, a, a defeatist way. It's not in a, in, in a way, so well, so should we just, like, you know, hurt ourselves and, and, and because that's what we deserve? And no, it's not, it's not that at all. It's a humble servant's way. So how is this possible? I think by remembering truths like James chapter 1, every good thing is given, everything, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James chapter 4, but he gives greater grace, therefore says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, there, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. A few verses later in verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Back in Matthew chapter 23, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. As I said a while ago, everybody, everybody who lifts themselves up in pride will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice that's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so they may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the apostles, especially Peter, especially Peter, knew at this point the detriment of trying to put himself back on the throne, of taking the reins back, the, the, the control back, of getting back in the driver's seat of his life. They learned quickly that that's not their place anymore. Paul would eventually be inspired to write this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? Because you've been bought with a price. And look at these next words. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Yeah, sometimes our glory hounding may not be as blatant as Herod. You know, I don't have anybody singing praises to me. I don't have anybody lauding me. I don't have anybody, you know, giving me praise and, 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 and hand clapping. I mean, not at my job, not my family, not at church. I don't have anybody doing that. That's not me at all. It may not look as blatant as sitting in purple and silver laced outfit. But maybe it's the affirmation of those who aren't giving us affirmation that we're after as we do spiritual things. Well, I want them to notice. I want them to see what I'm doing. I want people to like it. And so that's not me. Bear with me. Maybe it's the praise from man for a post that we made on social media. Not just posting it because we love God and we want to be an instrument and we don't care who liked it or shared it. But maybe we posted it because we want to receive glory. Something we do for others as we serve, a project that we have, a gift that we give, the recognition that we're seeking. When we fall in the path of seeking glory for ourselves, are we living lives to bring glory to God? It's an evaluation we all have to make in our life. Jesus was the perfect example. Philippians chapter 2, I love this section of Scripture. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, church, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than your own selves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can only have this because you're in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to even be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He didn't have to do that, but he did. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He didn't come as a king. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here are the words 
to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the perfect example of what our lives are supposed to look like, to live a life as a humble servant, unified under God's plan, so that our lives bring glory to God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, live out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing among yourselves that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's the generation we're living in. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is our call as the children of God, is to bring glory to God, shining the light of the glorious gospel. Everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do, we are to bring glory to God in our life, not glory to ourselves. Jesus taught that back in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 6. He says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. You know that charitable deeds are going to be seen by men. You know that when you serve that person, you know when you give that gift, you know when you do that, even anonymously, somebody's going to know, somebody's going somebody's to see. It's going to be, but why are you doing it? He says, take heed that you don't do those things to be seen by men. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do char a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When they receive glory, man, man, you are an amazing servant. Man, that post, you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> and when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret him, uh, will himself reward you openly. We go on and on and on and on. But our lives should be lived as humble servants, serving the Lord and serving others, all in effort to bring glory to God. Not seeking to get glory from ourselves, not following the, the human uh, pull and emotion, not following the sway of the world. Well, I, 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 just, I just need to check how many likes I have. I just need to check how many shares I have. I just need to check. Why are we doing what we're doing? Well, I wanted to see if so-and-so read my post because they're the one that needed it. Well, talk to so-and-so. Don't put a post out there. Acts chapter 12, verse 24, back in our text. But the word of God grew and multiplied. I love the word of God. Man, the word of God grew and multiplied. In the midst of all of this, God showing himself as God, all of this stuff, in it, stuff happening in the church, through the church, with the church. And here we see Jesus Christ, his church, triumphant, especially in tribulation yet again. Again, God's glory is not shared. His word and his will not abandoned, but his people stayed faithful to him. The Jewish commentator said, Jewish instigators sought to crush what was only furthered and glorified. I love that. Commentator goes on to say, how full of encouragement and consolation is all of this to the Christian church in every age. That when the, the enemy comes against the people of God, when, 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 when an emperor, when a nation, when a government tries to snuff out the church of Jesus Christ, to silence the word of God, to censor whatever, 
God's church will not be stopped. His word and will not be stopped. I heard a song years ago with a monologue in it. I read it before, but I want to read it again. The name of the song is Church Triumphant. Here's the monologue. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he had stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. underground excuse me. Now the purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it has forced its way through solid rock. There have been those who, like Simon the Magician, sought to barter on the open market that power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people, men who could not be bought, and women who are beyond purchase. God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, financially profitable, but God has always had a people. Yet it's been gold-plated, draped in purple, and encrusted with jewels. It has been misrepresented, ridiculed, lauded, and scorned. But God has always had a people. And these followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of the times, elevated sacred leaders and modern heretics. Yet through it all, their march is on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people, who cannot be bought, blabbered, murdered, or stilled. On through the ages they marched, the church, God's, God's triumphant church. Listen, child of God, it's alive. Discouraged pastors, it's his church, and it's still alive. Lonely missionary, sow that seed with confidence. The church is still alive. Old saint, you're not alone or forgotten. The church is still alive. It's alive, my brokenhearted friend. It's still alive. Busy mothers, worn out mothers, just keep trusting Jesus. The church is alive. You're not alone out there. Just keep looking to Jesus. The church is alive. Faithful fathers, there's rest in the Lord. God's church is still alive. So family of God, lift up your hands, lift up your, lift up your hearts, and praise the Lord. The church, God's triumphant church is alive. It's alive and well. Point two, the word and will, namely the church of God is unstoppable. We've seen this in Psalm chapter 119 in our Sunday evenings. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven forever. Nobody can change it. Nobody can alter it. It's never going to move. God's word is eternal. It goes on in verse 90. For your faithfulness continues through all, throughout all generations. You establish the earth and it stands. They stand this day according to your ordinances. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. I am, your, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for, me, wait for me to destroy me. I shall diligently consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. See, everything has a limit except for God's word. It's eternal. The word of the Lord endures forever, 1 Peter chapter 1. To his people he declared this in Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to, to me. 
Eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Listen to these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up in the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Next verse in chapter 25, and I'll close. Emphasizing that, emphasizes that nothing in this world or out of this world can stop the will and the word of God and it's manifested in his faithful servants. So how do you know that the, the, the word and the will of God will not stop? Because of faithful Christians like you. So I don't care what is happening in America. I don't care what's happening in the world. I don't care what is, is what was trying to bear down on me. I don't care what's trying to vie for my faith, my trust, my, what was trying to strike fear in me. I, don't, I, I am going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to follow him regardless. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, verse 25, when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So interesting that Luke notes at this point when Barnabas and Saul complete their missionary, missionary journey to Jerusalem, this, this mission of, of mercy, they return to Antioch with John Mark. I love how Luke, a doctor, likes to make these connective and explanatory remarks so that we're prepared a little bit later whenever he brings these people back up. We're going to see in the next chapter that he will accompany them on this first missionary journey. But this verse makes me think. His truth is marching on. His church is marching on. I hope that every person in this room is a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I pray that every person is not only a, a, a member of his church, but that you are a faithful member, that you are contributing, that you are a servant, that you are a part of the unstoppable plan and will of God that, that you're, you're, you're living in and trusting in the word that is unstoppable. And I hope that you're not just going off this, this hope or this wish that it's, it's a name tag or that it's a golden ticket that you hold in your hand because you claim to be a Christian, but that you fully understand it's about a relationship with the creator, your creator through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Trusting 
him, trusting his atoning sacrifice, trusting his, that substitutionary death on the cross in your place, trusting that he rose again from the grave literally and that you're surrendered to him as Lord and Savior gives you salvation from the judgment that you deserve because of your sin. And when you enter into that relationship with him, or when you did, again, you're a member of his unstoppable church. I would say this, being a member of the Lord's church is the only safe haven in this hostile world. You say, man, I, I, it's everywhere. It seems like it's coming in. I mean, there's so much junk in the world. There's so many things that I'm worried about, that I'm, that I'm anxious about. Listen, if you are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in the safe haven. Come what may, you are safe. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Let's live faithfully, victoriously, not allowing the world to dictate what or who will be. Let's be the Lord's church. Let's be the church triumphant. Let's be who he's called us to be. Because, man, it's unstoppable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. Lord, we do know that it's unstoppable. Lord, we know that uh, there's nothing in this world that will stop uh, the word going forth. You, just as we saw in Isaiah, you said it thousands of years ago. The word that comes out of your mouth will go forth and accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish. It will not return to you void. It will not return to you empty or purposeless. Your word is eternal and will accomplish everything. That Lord, I pray that we as your people will stay submitted to you, we'll stay unified in you, that we'll stay obedient to you so that no matter what happens, Lord, whether, whether we completely lose freedom in this country, whether we, we, we see a persecution come on your church like we've never seen before, no matter what happens in our life, in our world, in, our li in the time that we are on this earth, God, that we would stay true to you like we see in our study. God, that, that even in the midst of great persecution, as we saw in verse 24, that the, the word of God grew and multiplied. Lord, we'll see that happen in our lives and through our lives. And God, we beg you, if there's somebody here that does not have that personal relationship with you, that they'll come forward during this invitation or they'll stop at the end of the service and say, I, I need to know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die. Lord, just work now on this invitation. Lord, we'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings.